Again, welcome to uh, church this morning. I'm so glad you guys are here. If we haven't met, I'd like to meet you. I'm one of the three pastors here. We've been looking at Jesus in Genesis. What a disappointment it would be if we go through the Old Testament or if we go through Genesis and the beginning and see no glimpse of Jesus there. We, we see him in the middle when in the Gospels. We see Jesus at the very end in Revelation. And what a disappointment, I think, as a reader, if I could not see and find that Jesus was right there in the beginning. And so we've been looking at Genesis, just a few kind of high point um, stories. And today we're going to go to the story of Abraham. So it starts, well, it starts a little bit before this, but... We're going to pick it up in chapter 12 and just read a few verses. I don't have these on the screen because it's quite a bit. You, you bring your Bible or download the app or you can go get a free one. It's just free 99 out there in the lobby. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great Nation, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing and will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Flip over to chapter 15. In the rules of seminary, they tell you, preacher, stick with two verses, not two chapters. I've got three. Actually, I have four chapters. <laughs> Thank you. Chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. I'm just going to flip over real quick. You just hang with me just for a moment. Chapter 17, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then <laughs> Abram fell on his face and said to God, and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. 
and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come before you. Flip over to 22, and we'll get to that later. Before we do, let's pray over the reading of God's word this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that many may have come in this auditorium, this theater, in a movie theater, perhaps looking for you, looking for some divine word, God. Thank you, Lord, that we have just heard it, God. Though it was my lips that, my unclean lips that spoke it, it was your word we just heard. So, God, let us be sanctified in the truth of your word. And when we leave this room, may we all collectively say how great and glorious is Jesus Christ. May you, O God, be mighty to save In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I have said, we have been through, I guess I would just say it's the gospel according to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when we first started this, we we see where we get a glimpse of the first heralding of the gospel. When Adam and Eve uh, collapse or the world collapses into sin as a result of the action of Adam and Eve, the Lord comes to them and he gives them the Proto-Evangelion, which is a first message of the gospel. And he tells them that he will come and crush the head of the serpent. And so there's this tension automatically, if you're reading through this as a story, that who is the he? That's the question that's first asked in Genesis chapter 3, and, and it doesn't take long for really civilization to spiral out of control at a very rapid pace. In chapter 4, you got the first murder, sin, um, all these types of things are unraveling civilization, and by the time you get to chapter 5, God wipes them off of the face of the planet. In his right judgment, does he do this? But he uses a man named Noah who is going to be, as an act of mercy, save humanity. Nobody pays attention to Noah. The floods come. Noah comes, got the ark, builds it as a refuge for people. After the flood, God sends a covenant, a sign of his covenant. And remember what it is? It's the bow. Remember the bow is is pointed upwards, the, the arrow is pointed to God and to Jesus that he would take the strike of the bow. He would take the arrow and then he would absorb all of the punishment and the wrath of God. And again, doesn't take long for civilization to grow and to just go about their wicked ways. Remember what happens in chapter 11? Now, I I expect you to do all of the homework on your own time, okay? Because I'm going through this at a very fast pace, okay? So you have a homework assignment. You ain't got nothing else to do. It's going to snow tonight. Read your Bible. Genesis chapter 11, remember what they're doing? I can reach God by my own way. Isn't that what they say? The the Tower of Babel? Doesn't, Doesn't that resonate? Doesn't that sound just like? our culture today. I I can reach God and I don't need none of this church stuff. I can reach God and I don't need none of this Jesus stuff that you keep yelling at me about every single Sunday. I can reach God and I can get there uh, in my own way. I don't need you. I don't need Jesus. I don't need the Bible. I don't need none of this stuff. I just need to be kind. Right? Isn't that what a culture tells you? Just be kind. Just be loved because love wins in the end. Love is love. Just do these good things and you'll make it. 
It, it reminds me of a panel that I was on at SUU a couple, maybe a year ago, and it was just religious leaders, and every single one of them said that we're all going to go to the same place. We just, our mission is just to be kind. And I looked at them and I said, no, you're wrong. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. You want to get to the door of the ark? you got to go through the door of Jesus Christ. And so then it sets up in chapter 12 where God is going to establish a covenant. Or maybe in simplified terms, God is going to give a promise to a man named Abram. You just flip the page and all these things are unraveling. And you go to chapter 12 and you discover that God has a plan, and God is going to intervene, and God has yet again dispersed these people because of Babel, and God's plan is to take one individual, and instead of that one individual trying to make a name of himself, God is going to make a name for him. The people at the Tower of Babel were trying to make a name for themselves, and God said, not this time. I'm going to draw out of humanity a person in I, the Lord, is going to make a name of him. That's what he says in chapter 12, verse 2. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. By the time you get to chapter 17, the covenant expands a little bit, and that you will be the father of a multitude. And now he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And there's this melodic line that, that goes throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And it's hinged upon this one essential truth that God is a promise keeper. God is going to make this promise and this covenant to Abraham that through you, the Lord God is going to make a great name for you, Abraham. And through you, Abraham, all of the nations will be Blessed. And what does the text say? Abraham believed. Isn't that interesting? He, he believed. I mean, this, here's the story of the Bible. It's grounded in this one promise that through his seed, that all of the families of the earth will be blessed. That through Abraham's seed, all of the families will be blessed because out of the seed of Abraham, Jesus comes. That through you, the seed of Abraham, the Messiah, the King of Kings, will come and reconcile all things back. This is, this is such an interesting thing. In, in chapter 15, verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and it counted to him as his righteousness. What did he believe? Like, like what, what did he believe? Well, he believed the promise that God gave him. Well, what is the promise? Well, that he would become father of many nations. Well, how is that going to start? Well, it's going to start through you, Abraham, and I'm going to give you a seed with a child. Let me tell you what he believed. He believed in the gospel. That's what he believed. In fact, if you doubt that, that's fine. You can doubt it, but you're wrong. In Galatians chapter 3, uh, Paul actually expounds upon this a little bit, doesn't he? When, he? when he says, I believe it's in chapter 15, verse 6, when he says, just as Abraham believed in God, it was counted him as righteousness. Listen to what he says. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, 
That is the people who did not have the promises of God. In all of this, by the way, of background, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Notice here is the phrase, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, what he is trying to do right here in this narrative in Genesis is try to shoot us forward into the story that that we would call Christmas. He's trying to get us to look down the corridors and the hallways of history so that we can see that through this one seed of Abraham down to Isaac and through Isaac down to the next seed, through the next generation, down to David, that eventually there would be a seed of Abraham and he would be the king. This is exactly what this text is doing, trying to get us to look down the halls of the Old Testament so that we can see Christ and his glorious in the first advent of Christ Jesus. Now there's a couple of questions that I think arise from this promise to Abraham. That Abraham, you know, you know, Abraham, you you you're 75 years old, you know, you you're really old. No offense. By by the way, um you you you're, you know, there's just no way to put it. In fact, Abraham would say, um, to back to God, that my wife, well, she's 99 at some point, you know, 25 years later. Well, and you know what? She's just as good as dead. Now, husbands, I don't know, like, at what point in your life you feel the freedom to say that, but wives, knock your old husband down if he ever says that to you. And this is this, like, he's just, he's, like, I'm, the point is that he's just, old. And I, I love the, the narrative that happens in chapter 17. <laughs> chapter 17, verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? No, that's right. That's the correct answer, it would seem. Now, if I, if I even make it to 100, it would feel more of a curse. Right? right? Am I the only one that would feel that? I mean, I'm 40, and I, you know, I'm, I'm struggling now. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it, and, and it seems like we look at this, oh, how dare Abraham laugh at the promise of God. You turn a hundred years old. And it is, and then he just, he, he laughs. Have you ever heard someone, maybe you're sitting at your dinner table, I don't know if you eat dinner with your family, and you said, did you hear old Papa Thrower? He's, you know, he turned a hundred, you know he's having a kid. The right answer should be, <laughs> you're funny. Because no, that should not happen. But there is nothing that God has purposed to do that he cannot do. It's an amazing story, and it starts off when Abraham is 75 years old. And it's, it's interesting because 
Prior to this, Abraham was worshiping pagan idols. He was not a really, you know, this big righteous guy. And then God's, and God's like, well, the Holy Spirit, did you see how Abraham, how incredible of a human being he is? No, God is setting the stage of how he will build a company of people. And he will call them out by name, not based on the merits of who they are or what they've done or the righteous deeds or the righteous acts that they can ever accomplish. But God will call you as an individual despite your sin nature. And he'll call you into the company of his family. And we immediately see this right here, this great calling of a company of a family in Abraham. And it doesn't take long for Abraham, and rightfully so. So, so God goes back to him, and he, and he tells him, you know, again, I'm going to you know, do this thing. You're old. That's okay. You're going to have a kid. And, and this time, Sarai is outside of the tent, and she, and she hears. And, and what does she do when she hears of this? Remember the story? She's not out there going, oh, this is exciting. I'm an old lady, and I'm about to have a child. What does she do? She laughs. She should laugh. She should not lie about laughing as she does. But she should laugh. She should laugh because it seems such an audacious covenant that God would be making with two older people. Didn't you consider my great-great-great-grandchild down or great-nephew because he doesn't have a child yet, right? But my great-great-grandnephew. He's young. What about him? God is about to expose to us his power that he's going to make this situation so unlikely, so laughable. And that's what they continue to do. They laugh. In 17, the covenant is out there again. And, 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 and Sarai hears it. And it's, and it's more laughter. It's more laughter. You know, and he just thinks, well, geez, this, thing, this sounds like an excellent plan. And then Noah, and then Noah, not Noah, Abraham, he falls on his face the second time. And just the, fa- just the space of just a few verses in, in verse 17, when he says, or in chapter 17, he fell on his face and he laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? More laughter. 99, 100 years old. Do you see what's happening here? This is, this is questioning God here. And, you, you know, it's, it would be one thing to be like, oh, this is great. You know, hey, hey, jolly G. Willikers. But that's not the type of laughter they're having because Sarah's like, oh, I didn't laugh. She's lying about it. The question is, you, do you really mean to tell me that God is saying that we're going to have a child does that sound familiar? Does it sound like what, what, what the serpent told Adam and Eve in the garden in chapter 3? Do you think God really meant that? It's this question, do you re- God, are you really sure about this? Did you really mean this? You think, you think you're just having a bad dream or something and you're, you're talking to the wrong people? You know, it's that question that was back in the garden. God, do you really mean this? God, did you really say this? 
And here's the answer, and he answers the question with a question. And he says this, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The question that I would summarize this in to another question is, does God keep his promises? And the answer is yes. We know that the answer is yes because we're into the story and we see this. But that's the question, that there is nothing that God has purposed to do that he cannot do. So in other words, to simplify this answer is that it is only by the power that God's purpose will ever be filled. Only by God's power, the same power that spoke the earth into existence, the same power that brought humankind here, the same power. Abraham is going to come along this, and he's going to have to believe this based on God's supernatural sovereign power. And so then there's another question then that comes up. Not, not only does God keep his promises, and then the answer to that question with a question, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? But the question to it, from our perspective, is do we trust the plan of God? Do we trust the power? Do we trust the promise of God? Abraham sees Jesus in the day and the birth of Isaac. If you go down to chapter 17, verse 19, he says this, you will call him Isaac. Now, I think that's only happened maybe one or two other times because it sounds a lot familiar when he tells Mary that you will call him Jesus. Very seldom do you find throughout the Bible where the name would be given well before that they are born. And right here you see this. And ironically enough, what does Isaac mean? What? Laughter. He laughs. <laughs> Could you imagine having, I, you know, maybe your name is Isaac here. We probably haven't met if it is. Hey, he laughs. Have you made your bed? Hey, he laughs. Have you gone to the store? He laughs. Have you, um, have you go hunted for all the quells? Hey, he laughs. I don't know why I said that. He laughs. Have you, have you, have you made our tea this morning? He laughs. You got to imagine, right? And it just seems silly that they would, you know, God would give him this name like, oh, 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 y'all laugh. Okay, your son's not going to be named. He laughs. Could you imagine in the old age, I don't know, maybe 103, 104, they're, they're, they're watching, they're, they're, you know, just this tender love they have for the son they've been waiting for for so long. Could you imagine them just looking at each other as an old couple and just kind of giggling? His name is Elapse because we laughed and we thought this was a silly promise of God. And so we laughed. And now, as a reminder of our laughter, we have a child whose name he laughs. It's quite comical how God uses these types of things. And then you get into chapter 22. And you really have to begin to ask yourself this question Do you really trust? the plan and the purposes and the promises of God. And so we, I mean, when I asked that, like we all said, yeah, we trust God's promise. But, but we didn't get to chapter 22 yet. And, and I'll narrate this to you just so that we can go through this a little quicker. 
God, God goes back to Abraham, and he has this boy, and I'm sure maybe he looks at him every now and then, and he just grins, and he laughs. And God comes to Abraham, and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, your one and only son, the son you love, and I want you to take him to the place that I'm going to tell you to take him. And not only are you going to take him there, but you're going to sacrifice him there. Now, we resoundedly all agreed to say, yes, we trust God's promise. We trust God's covenant. Well, that wasn't before the challenge was placed into the narrative of the story. And so the question is still, do you trust God's plan and purpose and power you got to, I, I don't know, maybe if I were Abraham, I'm thinking, well, what about this whole promise thing that you've been telling me about? That you, re- like, really, I was 75 when you came to me. I was 100 years old when this kid came into my life. So what about this promise? And now you're wanting me to abandon all of that because you said that through my line, through this seed, through this child, that all of the families will be blessed. All of the families would be reconciled back into Christ through this kid. And so now you're wanting me to get, and I don't know if this is the narrative that's happening into Abraham's mind, but I can't help but to think and insert my brain into this and thinking, God, why would you want me to sacrifice a kid? Doesn't that seem unjust? He's a child. By this point, he's probably a teenager. So maybe by this point, he's not questioning. But he has got to be thinking, what about this promise? You see the question now? The question now has a little bit more meaning and has a little bit more weight to it. Do you trust the promise of God? We discover that as you, you read through this, God sent him out. And I don't believe that this is to see if Abraham has more faith. He's giving Abraham an opportunity to see down the road what is going to happen. And there's such beautiful gospel imagery in this story. He tells his son, you know, even, even if this, this happens, I, I believe that God will raise him from the dead. I don't, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I don't think we have any sign of resurrection prior to this. He tells him, you're going to carry wood, Isaac, up to the hill. I mean, isn't this, what, what is, like, do you see that what is happening here? That God is getting Abraham to look down through the corridors of history to see what is going to happen. This is the story of the gospel. And so, so they go, and, and, a, you, and if he's a teenager, I don't know how teenagers were, what, like 4,000 years ago, but if they're anything like they are today, you've got to be wondering, like, how many questions this boy Isaac was asking his father. Dad, I got, I got wood, and we're, we're hiking. Where's the lamb? Right? You know, I mean, like you, you, you have to think like critically through some of these stories and you got to wonder what's going on in the heads of some of these people. And you got to think like, well, maybe I, I'm certainly, I can't be the lamb. I can't be the sacrifice. I'm the one that's been promised about. 
And Abraham tells him, God will provide the lamb. And what does he do? Like right in the nick of time, in the thistle of the bush, God provides the sacrifice. And in John chapter 1, John comes out. And he tells the audience that is captivated by his preaching and teaching of the kingdom of God and repentance through Jesus Christ. And he looks over to the crowd and he says to them, everyone, I want you to look at this. Behold, the Lamb of God who is here to take away the sins of the world. My friends, this morning, this is not just a story about a man having a child at the age of 100. This is a story that is catapulting us into the story of Christmas. It's a story that has launched us right into the little town of Bethlehem. There lays a little baby in a manger where people follow a star to come see him where the King of kings and the Lord of lords is laid there, God in flesh, incarnate. Abraham is looking to them. Now, here's the interesting thing. Remember the first promise, right? I'm going to, through you, Abraham, like all things are going to like just come to play and it's, you know, all of the world is going to be reconciled. All families will be blessed. He doesn't just say this is conducive for just the Hebrew children. This isn't just for the Israelites. This is an all-encompassing promise that involves and includes you and I. Because just as God was calling out people by name some 2,000, 4,000 years ago, he is continuing to call us out by name to join the company of this promise of reconciliation, of salvation. Now, here's the question that I have. This is my last question. I have a lot of questions, as you can see. I'm an inquisitive mind. Did God fail? Did God lie? Because on the surface, if you're reading the story, you're like, well, yeah, maybe he gave him the kid. But what about this whole ordeal about reconciliation, about all families coming before the Lord, about all nations being blessed? What about this story? Because if you watch and you witness and you study the history of the Old Testament, the story goes pretty bad, and it goes bad very fast. It's like this roller coaster ride. Right after the story of Abraham, his children's children are led to a land that we call Egypt. What happens in Egypt? They start growing, and Pharaoh feels threatened by the growth of these people. And so because of him being threatened, they're enslaved. Hmm. Doesn't seem like God is keeping his promise, does it? Until he raises up a man named Moses, and Moses leads them out into the wilderness where they're going to roam around for 40 years. And eventually they land into the promised land, and maybe there's a glimpse of hope. Maybe there's a glimpse of, oh, maybe God is making uh, good on his promise right here. But what happens? They start complaining. Well, we want a king. These judges aren't enough. We want to be like them. They got a king, and we want a king. They're like little five-year-olds out there complaining because they don't have a king. And so what does God do? He gives them a king. He gives them Saul. Saul doesn't go very well, and so God gives them mercy and grace by providing them David. 
And so for a very, very brief time in history, things are going well. Maybe this is what God was talking to Abraham about, about now how all the nations are going to be blessed because we're really feeling these blessings. Prosperity, the nation is growing, the nation is conquering other nations. This must be the fulfillment of the promise until it isn't the fulfillment of the promise because kings start getting very wicked until the Assyrians come in and they take over and they exile all of the Israelites. And this goes on for hundreds of years. And you get these major prophets who are telling them, listen, don't forget the promise. There's a king coming. Don't forget the promise. Could you imagine Isaiah writing these things that we read up here on the screen earlier? That there will be one where the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father? Could you imagine people looking at him and thinking, you're, you're, you're just into that propaganda or maybe you're just into that conspiracy about how there's going to be this one promise that's going to reconcile all the nations. Fake news, Isaiah. And for 700 years, or, or in fact for 300 more years, prophets would scream, they would prophesy, they would tell them, there is someone coming. Don't forget the promise that God made. Don't forget the promise that through that line, God is going to reconcile all things back. And you get what we call this intertestamental period where there are 400 years of complete silence. There is no more thus saith the Lord. God is not speaking. God is not using voices. God is not picking out prophets and telling them, tell them this. It's utter silence. And so I just got to press and go back to the question, did God lie? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of who? Abraham. How fascinating that this is. That for some of you who are saying, and just maybe write off the Bible as some kind of archaic, you know, not relevant type literature that just doesn't really mean much for us anymore. When you read through these and see how detailed it is through all of these promises and all of these prophecies, that for thousands of years, that through the line of Abraham, God says to him, I'm going to bring all nations back through you. And it might have taken 2,000 years to happen, but in Matthew chapter 1, we get the fulfillment of God's promise. Do you know why? Because God does not lie. He, he just, he doesn't. And isn't that amazing? That, that everything that God has purposed to, to happen, it will take place by his power and his sovereignty. That promise that he made Abraham, that one day he'll make everything right, he did. He made good on his promise, and the Bible says that the angels or the skies exploded with angels, and they start singing about, about this glorious day 
there's these old, dirty shepherds who come and to witness this display of the heavens opening up. Because right there in this moment, God says to the whole earth, I've made good on my promise. And it may feel like you have forgotten about that promise, but here's the fulfillment of it right here. Wrapped here. His, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if there's any encouragement, if there's anything that we can hold on to, cling to in the scripture, it is that God keeps his promises. He does not lie. He keeps his promises. And the more staggering part about this is that you and I are a part of that promise. I mean, just think about that. And, and I, I'm done, I promise. Just, just think about that for a second. That was my third closing, I think. I go in all charismatic on you, I apologize. But just think about that for a moment. That some old guy, yeah, I don't know, 4,000 years ago, there, that there was a promise made to him. Isn't that interesting? That you're sitting here, you who have been redeemed by Christ, you're a part of that. And if you are not a part of that, please, there, there is time for you to be a part of that. God is calling you. He is wooing you. Come be reconciled. He is calling you out by name. Come be a part of the company of the family that God is still creating yet to this day that he has not stopped creating. Would you be a part of that family that God is calling you into? Thank you.